Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 240. And tonight, we are hoping to make some more progress through Holland as we begin to creep towards Karathras and the path, the pass there over. Um, but um, I want to actually tonight, I want to jump straight into the text. Um, we've uh, have a, a we've had a, a bunch of moots and a lot of fun things happening lately. Uh, this past weekend, we had both New England moot and a fun event, uh, which was uh, our event for the finale of the Rings of Power and our Rings and Realms finale as well. So a bunch of folks were here for the uh, filming of the final episode of Rings and Realms, which should drop tomorrow. And um, uh, that um, that will be, uh, that, was, that was a lot. It's going to be really long and it's all their fault. It's all the fault of the audience. Um, it was really interesting because of course it was the eighth, ninth, no eighth episode of Rings and Realms that I had filmed. And it was really funny because like with a room full of people, <laughs> for some reason, my segments were like twice as long. It was really, it was, I, I didn't even notice at first, but uh, anyway, it was, uh, it was, it was fun. Um, anyway, so that's going to be, uh, <laughs> that's going to be a good time. The last one is a super long episode. You know, Rin, you joke about a four-hour episode, but it actually is <laughs> its going to be somewhere over three, I suspect. Um, but anyhow, uh, that was such a good time. Uh, many thanks to everybody who's been along with us on the Rings and Realms journey, and we'll see where the road sweeps us off to next. Not quite sure exactly what's happening from here, but we'll see. Um, however... I know where the road is sweeping me off to in the next few weeks, uh, and that's to a couple other fun places. So this this weekend, in a couple days, uh, I'll be headed out to Milwaukee to go to the Prancing Pony Moot. So for those of you who are planning to join the Prancing Pony podcast, folks, uh, at the Prancing Pony Moot out in Milwaukee uh, at Marquette University, I'm going to be out there. Look forward to seeing you there. And then two weeks from this weekend, on the 5th of November, will be SoCal Moot, the last of our fall season regional moots for Signum University out in Carlsbad, California. Looking forward to getting back out to Southern California for SoCal Moot 2022. Going to be really fun. Exactly, praise. It's the it's the last hurrah here uh, in um, in for moots in 2022, um, and then we'll we'll start off. Uh, 2023 with a bang, going to Australia for Ozmoot, our fr the first time I will ever go uh, down into the Southern Hemisphere where the stars are strange. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but, um, oh, Nancy, I am totally planning to take a look at the records and storage at Marquette. Well, at least because they're, they're having the, the big exhibit there uh, of the Tolkien manuscripts, uh, which is why the Prancing Pony folks are having their moot there. So, yeah, totally looking forward to that. Um April. We've actually been working on Seattle. We've been talking with folks in Seattle or Portland. Um, one or the other, I suspect, is going to happen soon. There's even an outside chance we might get it done this spring um, sometime, uh, you know, within the next uh, six months, possibly. Uh, so we will see. Yep. Sunshine Moot is coming in March. That's um, that's that's happening. So anyway, yeah, we'll we will uh, we will see how that goes. But um, but anyway, 
Looking forward to Milwaukee this weekend and SoCal Moot in a couple weeks. And uh, that will be that will be great fun. Miss Crystal, yeah, looking forward to seeing you and your whole family again, at least as much as your family is going to be there. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, sorry, I, we missed you guys at Middle Moot, but I knew you guys were uh, planning to be up in Milwaukee. So that'll be fun to see you there. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty fun to see that exhibit. Yeah, the green chili moot in New Mexico. Yeah, Dolores Stroker thinking about something. You know, I don't know. Uh, uh, folks in, like, Arizona can get, you know, do often get to the uh, SoCal moot. Um, we've had several people drive over from Arizona to get to that. But um, thinking about, you know, a more sort of southwest moot, uh, we'll see. We'll see how that um how that goes. Does Midwest moot, uh, mid, that's middle moot. Yeah. Does that typically happen in Iowa? Um, it, uh, it, it tends to so, so far for the last six years, it has alternated between Waterloo, Iowa and Kansas city. We're in Kansas city this year and we're going to be back in Waterloo next year is the plan. So, um, uh, so, uh, so there we are. And yes, as Karita Miraculous Trash says, I should do uh, another open session for people to bring their moot ideas to me. Yes, Karita is our regional moot coordinator. So uh, uh, if you are interested in helping, uh, being a part of a team uh, which is uh, you know, helping to you know, find us a, a, a local venue and, and, and figure out where to meet at a, uh, at a regional moot in your area, you should join the team and it'll be fun. Um, but um, any idea what city text moot will be in Two Juice Man? I do. San Antonio is the word. Uh, rotating down to San Antonio as we continue, continue our meandering exploration of the state of Texas uh, in the uh, history of text moot. This will be our fifth, I think, text moot. Um, and it's never been in the same city twice. So, uh, uh, so that should be fun. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, looking forward to, uh, getting down to San Antonio. Never been there before. Um, so anyway, we just had the most moots. Middle moot was our very first one. So this was our sixth middle moot, but again, it alternates between two different sites. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm actually not sure what, like single place has had our uh, the most moots or, or like what city, but uh, yeah, Miss Crystal asks, do I ever have time at home? Not lately, so very much time at home. Um, it's been a busy month. October is very busy. This week and next week, well, I'm not traveling next weekend, so that'll be nice. Actually, home on a Saturday uh, for the first time since mid September, but um, I. Um, have a bunch of other things happening next week. So next week's going to be busy too, but uh, things will start to calm down a bit, I think, in November. So we'll see. We'll see how uh, how that goes. God bless Mrs. Tolkien Professor. Yes, uh, uh, Mrs. Doctor the Tolkien Professor is uh, is very patient and has been putting up with a lot lately. Um, but uh, yeah, I am looking forward to the holidays. Uh, that should be fun. That should be fun. Um, all right. But anyway, um, let us uh, let us jump for having not meant to do announcements. I accidentally did. Well, it's hard not to uh, talk about the fun events we've had and that we are uh, planning to have soon. And I'll remind you guys about um, 
uh, about SoCalMoot again next week. Again, it's in Carlsbad, California, two weeks from this coming weekend. So it's like two and a half weeks from now. Uh, so if you guys, uh, if any of you are anywhere near Carlsbad and would like to come, there's still time. Uh, there's still time and still some space. So you'd be welcome to join us. And of course, anybody can join us remotely as all of our uh, all of our regional moots are fully hybrid moot experiences. Yeah, Carlsbad is in San Diego County. It's just a little, little north I think north, right, of uh, San Diego, as I recall. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and I will say uh, several of you have been passing this along already, and so I'll just add my voice to that. Um, happy birthday to Druid's Fire, who is uh, uh, our moderator here and who also is our uh, digital moot facilitator. She's the one who helps make our, our remote... Um, access our our, our our virtual moots possible so uh thank you to druids fire and happy birthday today um uh cool belongs mod i thought you had put in a proposal i'd heard rumors that somebody had put in a musical proposal and i was like ah i hope that's belongs mod looking forward to hearing uh to hearing you again okay let us get back to the text so remember where we were actually hang on let's skip ahead I mean, back. Just to remember where we are. Whenever it's whenever I miss a week, uh, I always have to remember. Okay, right. So we got to Strider's report. That's where this is the passage where we were last time, and we talked about the uh, Krabine and what it suggests, and Gandalf and Aragorn's sort of um, continuation of a, a, an apparently ongoing um, discussion and Aragorn's assertion that it must be put out and not lit again. Okay, that's where we were. All right. So back to the next passage. Well, if that isn't a plague and a nuisance, said Pippin. The news, no fire and a move again by night, had been broken to him as soon as he woke in the late afternoon. All because of a pack of... <laughs> all because of a pack of crows. I had looked forward to a real good meal tonight. Something hot. Well, you can go on looking forward, said Gandalf. There may be many unexpected feasts ahead for you. For myself, I should like a pipe to smoke in comfort and warmer feet. However, we are certain of one thing at any rate. It will get warmer as we get south. Too warm, I shouldn't wonder, muttered Sam to Frodo. But I'm beginning to think it's time we got a sight of that fiery mountain and saw the end of the road, so to speak. I thought at first this here Redhorn, or whatever its name is, might be it, till Gimli spoke his piece. A fair jawcracker dwarf language must be. Maps conveyed nothing to Sam's mind, and all distances in these strange lands seemed so vast that he was quite out of his reckoning. Yeah, excellent. I agree, Valori. We, um, you know, we've been talking about um, we've been talking about the genocide of crows, right? That was that's been flying over them, and then here Pippin is just dismisses it, right? Dismisses it uh, as a pack of crows. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Oh, man. Price gouging, I think I agree with you. Uh, that a fair jaw cracker um, totally sounds like a gaffer expression, right? That must be, uh, that must be a, a gafferism. Um, ooh, what a great word. Gafferism rhymes with aphorism, right? A gafferism. Oh, man. <laughs> that, that word is gold. <laughs> I never even thought that word before. But totally, totally, totally must be a gafferism. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. 
but let's start this at the top. So note, one of the reasons I wanted to go back, and I should have just left it at the top. In fact, I'm, I'm going I'm to go fetch it back. I moved it down to the bottom. As you can see, this is why I don't just delete the ones that we finished. I, I rotate them through and keep the last like 10 or so on in case I want to go back and refer. This is why. I'm going to move this back up just because notice that we have here um, two separate conversations, right? We get Aragorn's report and Gandalf's response, right? So we get Aragorn and Gandalf on this sort of like high-level discussion, Aragorn's report and Gandalf's uh, plans and Aragorn's suggestions. And then we get um, and then we get the Hobbit response, right? The Hobbit commentary on this whole thing. If that isn't a plague and a nuisance, said Pippin. The news, no fire and a move again by night, had been broken to him as soon as he woke in the late afternoon. First of all, notice also um, Pippin sleeping through this whole thing. Now, you know, presumably, Aragorn doesn't go and wake everybody up when uh, he's reporting to Gandalf, right? He immediately goes and he wakes Gandalf up. Um, but I don't think... I doubt Gandalf is the only one who um, who awoke here. Um, but Pippin definitely did not, right? He slept straight through to the late afternoon, was then looking forward to a good meal, right? Remember, they were planning to sleep through the day and then get up, rest that night, right? Have a whole day off, right? Rest again the next night and then leave the day after that. They're going to have a day and a half here in this little dell as a little treat and a way to re recuperate, right? Um, but the news is broken to him. Uh, no fire and to move again by night. So it's far worse. Not only is there no rest, there's also no hot meal of any kind, no, and nor any warmth. It's been cold, that, uh, that wind that was cutting through their clothing before has died down. So it's not as bad as it was before, but still, um, uh, it's very cold. I'm thinking whenever we shift like this now, shift that is from one perspective to another, from one kind of register to another, I'm often thinking about our narrator question. I think it's pretty clear who wrote this section, right? This has got to be this has got to be Frodo, right? This has got to be Frodo because it includes Sam's talk, right? Sam is the, or Frodo is the one who wants to include more of Sam's talk. Uh, I don't think that Sam would have included that long speech of his own there. Um, so I think my suspicion, therefore, is that Frodo woke up. Uh, when Gandalf was awakened and overheard this. Of course, Frodo overhearing the conversation between Aragorn and Gandalf is going to be a little bit of a thing. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, exactly. You know, Kareta, the, the fact of the inclusion of Sam's talk, right, um, is it's not just a thing that Frodo says later on. We can see that here, right? And what is, and I want to, like, what is the purpose of it? Tolkien clearly loves Sam's talk. Uh, he's going out of his way to do this, but remember this, we, this is a thing we've been starting to trace. Um, this came into focus as we were standing, waiting to leave Rivendell. And we got that scene between Bill and Sam, 
the um, it's kind of becoming a thing where we get an event that happens or this sort of important instance and then we get like the Gamgee report here, the Gamgee perspective on this. And I want to think about how this um, how this frames, like what is the function of this? Why does Tolkien tell us this? Um, you know, if this is not merely a pure self-indulgence, right, to include more Hobbit talk, more, more, more of Sam's talk, um, what exactly does it accomplish? But, but wait, we have to first start with Pippin. So we begin with Pippin's reaction, we end with Sam's commentary, and then we get Gandalf in the middle. Um, Gandalf establishing here sort of the through line between the high-level talk with Aragorn in the previous slide and the hobbitry talk here uh, in this slide. Pippin's response, if that isn't a plague and a nuisance, all because of a pack of crows. Now, Pippin didn't see it, right? He didn't see the full genocide of crows. He doesn't really know what he's talking about, right? Um, and I'm... Uh, I'm not sure what to do with it. Why do we need Pippin's response? That is to say, what I mean by I don't know what to do with it is I could see it going in a couple different directions. I could see our response to this. Uh, how does this how does this set us up as readers, basically, is what I'm trying to is what I'm trying to figure. Um, what additional perspective does this lend us? On the one hand, I think it's fair enough to say, yeah, it, it is part of the epistemic regime in part. Okay, so an epistemic regime, let me, let me explain, that's a fancy term, that's a, that's a Mike Droughtism. Um, so, um, uh, epistem, right, uh, it, like epistemology, it mean, it's, it's, about, it's about knowing, right? So the epistemic regime, as Mike Drought uses that word, is like the frame of reference basically. Um, how much, from what point of view, and specifically thinking about epistemic, so about the frame of knowledge. So that is, how knowledgeable is the narrator, is the point of view character in this moment? Um, how does Tolkien manage the epistemic regime? And his, his tendency is almost always to narrate the story from the point of view of the person in the scene who knows least. Um, think about, and this is almost always the hobbits. We almost never have the scene depicted from Gandalf's perspective. We're sometimes told, occasionally, we'll get a little glimpse into what Gandalf is thinking. And those are rare and special moments. We will almost never get a whole scene depicted from Gandalf's point of view. Um, from what was the epistemic regime? What was the, what was the framework, the, the, the framework of knowledge from which we were operating during the Council of Elrond? Frodo's, right? Frodo's perspective. Um, and so what this means is there are often going to be things that happen that other people might know or might recognize, but which 
we won't be told about. This is, of course, really quite a good move. A lot of people do this kind of thing. It's a smart way to write a narrative. If you tell the narrative from the point of view of the person who knows most, right, then you're setting yourself up because now you've, you've got to explain everything. Um, it's hard to just kind of let the story unfold. Um, the point of view character is the one that sort of the reader is sort of riding along with in a sense, right? Um, so um, if the reader, who knows presumably relatively little, right? At least on a first read, the reader knows relatively little. And so therefore the person in the scene who also knows relatively little will be a sort of fit companion, a, a suitable framework. Um, if you have, if you tell it from the point of view of a, a person who knows everything, then you're going to have to explain all that, right? There's going to be a disjunction between what it, you know, like the point of view character sees something and they know all this context and they can explain all this stuff, but they probably won't, wouldn't do that. And so there's going to be a disjunction between what the, what the narrator sees, what the, what the point of view character sees and understands and what the, uh, what the reader sees and understands. Um, now it's true, Dan, that Frodo knows a bit more about certain things than some characters do. Yes, you're right. And this is one reason why I'm not sure. I mean, I don't, I think that Mike Drought is right about this. I think that his observation is a very important one. But Dan, for exactly that reason, I don't think it's a full enough description. Um, in my book that I've been working on, my Exploring the Lord of the Rings book, um, I like to talk about this in terms of big and small. That is, it is often... Um, ignorance is one of the factors, like levels of knowledge is one of the factors, but it's not the only factors. Um, and it's, it's not the only factor involved. And sometimes I think there's something to do with humility, with, um, um, I don't know. Well, we'll see how that kind of moves forward. But um, um, anyway, uh, yes, you're right that uh, it's a great way to unpack exposition, to pack exposition into the narrative to Juice Man, um, because the point of view character is learning along with the audience. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, anyway, yeah, so I, I don't want to digress too fully here, but Bjorning, yes, you're right that this, this shift is, th this is a very typical shift. But notice again how it works. We didn't just start here. We didn't just start um, doing all of this from, from, like Pippin's perspective. But keep in mind, we had Sam's perspective, even on the previous slide, even on the conversation between Aragorn and Gandalf. We were hearing that from Sam's point of view. And Sam, who was, uh, because you know, he, he, you know, he had been with Aragorn and all the descriptions were from his perspective, he didn't know fully what they were talking about, right? We got all of this. We get this conversation of the two of them alluding to things that we haven't really heard about yet. And, um, and presumably Sam nor Frodo, if he were awake and, and, uh, and overhearing would have, um, uh, would have known, uh, about that either. Um, but anyway, this is something more. This is something else. We already had Sam to establish the epistemic regime in that sense, to establish, you know, to maintain the point of view character as a hobbit. And it's almost always a hobbit. If there are hobbits around, 
the point of view character is the hobbit and um that's almost always true think about that think about um think about moments in the story in the lord of the rings story when there's a hobbit present where the hobbit is not the point of view character apart from those brief glimpses like when we are told what Ger- what gandalf is thinking um that time in Rivendell when he's looking at Frodo and thinking that he, you know, may become, uh, you know, like a like a glass, um, uh, you know, for eyes to see that would right? remember that that passage, um, the thinking fox. Yes, the thinking fox, um, though, in the defense of the thinking fox, all of the hobbits were comatose at the time. So there were no there were no <laughs> there were no waking hobbits uh, there present. Um, anyway, it's point is it's rare it's very unusual the hobbits are almost always the point of view characters but as i said we we had that right we had that now actually emily that's a wonderful example um the healing rooms at the houses of healing well actually no hang on because mary's not there most of the most of the time uh, or rather pippin's not there most of the time um i don't think but that's exactly the kind of thing, because no, he's already gone to Mary, right? So it's not until we get to Mary's room that we pick up with Pippin. Um, yeah, but I think maybe he was there in Faramir's room, Emily. No, that's why my impulse was that that was a really good example. Because if so, if Pippin's there, could somebody check and see that? No, I'm just curious now. Because if Pippin is there, it would be a very rare example of a scene taking place in a room where a hobbit is standing there present, right, but basically being ignored by the narrator, where the, 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 the narrator is just totally following the action and basically kind of letting us forget about the presence of the, of the, of the hobbit entirely. Um, I think that the scene at the Black Gate is from Pippin's point of view, trifle. I think almost entirely up through and including his unconsciousness. Um, that's when it ends, right? When Pippin's point of view fades to black uh, at the end of that. Um, but because um, even when we're, yeah, I mean, you have the whole mouth of Sauron thing. He's there for, for, for that. Anyway, um, the, but the point I keep getting distracted from and want to come back to here. This passage is unnecessary. We didn't, we didn't need that. We didn't need that. Uh, we, we didn't need this passage. We already had Sam's point of view. He was our point of view character for the last several slides through that whole genocide of crows incident. This is pure extra, um, extracurricular Hobbit action that we're getting here. Um, and it's not for point of view purposes, exactly. Not for narrative point of view purposes, not for epistemic regime purposes, not for framing purposes. Exactly, Zeev, it does tell us more, um, it does tell us more about the Hobbit. It's bonus Hobbitry. That's exactly it. Um, is it meant for levity, Wordwise is asking? Yes, it is meant for levity. I mean, to some extent, yes. Um, it's, um, I mean, again, we have... Frodo's 
commentary on this later on, right? Why does he imagine an audience clamoring for more of Sam's talk? He makes me laugh, he says. So that's one thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, thank you, Musical. Musical is pointing out the passage that suggests that Pippin is not there, that he's gone and he's in with Mary so that we don't see either Pippin or Mary until we come into the room there. Um, yeah, okay, okay. Um, anyway, awesome. Thank you. Okay, but, but, okay, but I'm totally, I'm totally done being distracted. So again, I ask, why do we get this? What does this establish? So first of all, as I was saying, for this first paragraph, there are several different directions we could go. One direction is that it tells us something about Pippin. And one of the things it almost inevitably, inescapably tells me is how naive Pippin is, all because of a pack of crows. The casualness with which Pippin is suggesting that little things like spies of the enemy are incidental in comparison uh, to having a real good meal, right? That there's this... He doesn't express any concern, you know, that this... Uh, Sam was playing it pretty cool as we were looking at. I mean, he wasn't exhibiting signs of terror or anything like that. But beyond Sonar, yeah, it seems that he really has very little idea what's going on. Um, all because of a pack of crows. The, the minimalizing of the danger. The dismissing of the danger. Um, I look forward to a real good meal tonight. Something hot. That's what matters. If that isn't a plague and a nuisance, all this self-protection, all of this keeping our quest a secret, all of this not getting killed by the enemy who is searching high and low for us to make mincemeat of us, um, what a plague and a nuisance that is. Now, here's my question. How seriously do we take Pippin? That is, is he that naive? I think it's possible that he's that naive. Um, I think probably I give it a I give it about a 75% chance that Pippin is actually this naive but I wonder if he's also kind of playing it cool here but a little bit more proactively than Sam was Sam was not letting his you know terror he was not letting terror show um he was, he seemed to be responding, like his question to Strider was, um, you know, calm and measured. But, but yeah, Amarea, that's what I'm wondering. Um, if, uh, if he's kind of cutting the tension with a good offbeat Hobbit joke, that's kind of what I'm wondering. Um, if he's making light of it for the sake of making light of it. Or even... Here's the thing that I have a harder time believing. I have a harder time that Pippin is strategizing here, right? I'm willing to believe something of Pippin, but I'm not sure I'm willing to believe that. I don't believe that he has the sort of Gandalfian perspective. I think we've seen Gandalf on several occasions go out of his way to raise the mood to, um, uh, to help Frodo. Right, to make sure that things don't get too grim, that their spirits don't get down. 
I'm not sure that I believe Pippin is there like, well, everybody's spirits need keeping up, so I'll make a joke in order to help everybody get through this difficult time. I don't think I can believe that of Pippin exactly. But what I could believe is that he doesn't want himself to be scared. Um, so either he's actually oblivious, really does think he's just on a hobbit walking party, or he is making light of it in more of a, a sort of a bravado way. Like, I am, you know, the enemy might have found us, the enemy spies are drawing in near us, um, so I'm going to pass that off with a joke um, and a diminishing statement, right? Um, Self-comforting, Zeeve, is, is more the kind of thing that I'm thinking of here than probably thinking about the comfort of others. It's possible that I might be underestimating Pippin. And as I said, I think it's probably even more probable that we are seeing genuine naivety on Pippin's part, that he doesn't really take the whole bird spy seriously, especially when he didn't see them. You know, he all he knows is that crows have flown overhead, and he's like, you saw a pack of crows, and now we can't have dinner. Whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. But you're right, Karita, that he is young and not wise. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, yes, I think that he's... Um, I don't think, April, that's a great question. Is he cross because he hasn't been fed? I don't think so. I actually don't. I could be wrong. Um, certainly, if an actor were given these lines, the actor could could do these lines angry, genuinely angry and annoyed. Um, but I don't think so. It's that first line. If that isn't a plague and a nuisance, um, the... Um, the combination of those two words suggests to me he's not serious. If you're calling one single thing both a plague and also a nuisance, that is a very big deal and a very not big. A nuisance is just a, a minor inconvenience. A plague is not just a minor inconvenience, right? So um, I, I, I hear... Um, I hear comedy in that combination, and therefore the entire thing kind of exaggerated. Um, yeah, if that isn't a plague and a nuisance. Um, all because of a pack of crows. So, so yes, uh, I, I think it's probably... Yeah, one or the other. I'm not sure I want to choose between the... Um, sort of self-talk version, uh, trying to convince himself that he's not afraid and that there's nothing to be afraid of. Uh, and, and also, uh, that he might possibly be that naive and word wise, it's well worth wondering, um, if Pippin isn't really used to hard work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, remember the joke that he makes at the beginning of their journey with Sam and Frodo? Um, when he tells Pippin to get the bathwater hot for him, he was joking. He was having Sam on at that point, and Frodo uh, stuck up for Sam and rolled Pippin out of his blankets forcibly uh, to get him moving himself. But 
it's kind of a joke and it's kind of not a joke. I, I suspect Pippin does normally have servants who get his bathwater hot before he bothers to get out of bed. That wouldn't shock me one little bit, uh, knowing knowing that he is, you know, the son of the right-wise Thane of the Shire, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. Rowan, I can agree that it is likely, um, it is likely a, a genuine grumble, but the exaggeration is there to take the sting out of it. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, sure, agreed, agreed. And then Gandalf gives it back to him, as Gandalf always does. Well, you can go on looking forward. There may be many unexpected feasts ahead for you. For myself, I should like a pipe to smoke in comfort and warmer feet. However, we are certain of one thing at any rate. It will get warmer as we get south. Notice that unravels kind of quickly. Well, unravels is not the right word. It shifts in tone very quickly. That first comment is pure hobbitry, right? Serving it back to Pippin. Um, I had looked forward to a real good meal. You can go on looking forward. Well, if you were looking forward and enjoying looking forward so much, you can keep looking forward. Uh, there you go. Problem solved. Sure. So that is... But notice he does not go on to say exasperated things about Pippin. He could. He could just lay into Pippin and tease him for you know, his obliviousness, his not taking this whole thing seriously. There are lots of things that Gandalf could say. We could get a fool of a took here, that kind of comment, but we don't. He shifts almost immediately. After saying you can go on looking forward, teasing Pippin for his complaint, he then turns it, if you see what I mean. Um, it's all, Because it's not just sort of criticizing Pippin for complaining. It's, he also turns that into a genuine word of hope. You can go on looking forward. It's both sardonic comeback, but also genuine statement of optimism. There may be many unexpected feasts ahead for you. Oh, oh no, wait, he literally means go on looking forward. Think good things about the future. Imagine the nice things that may yet come your way, because many of them may. There may be many unexpected feasts ahead for you. If, you. if you're genuinely feeling grumpy about your hot meal being taken away tonight, well, your hot meal has been unexpectedly taken away, but many feasts unexpectedly may, you know, uh, present themselves before you as we move forward. Of course, you know, thinking of three as company, as we just were, because I was just referring to it, we saw already, it was one of the very first things that happened on this entire journey was an unexpected feast with the elves in Woodhall. That's going to be a kind of thing that is going to happen to uh, to Pippin and to the rest of the company at, at various at various points. Um, yes. So, um, so he turns, as I say, he turns it into genuine encouragement. And now talks about himself. For myself, I should like a pipe to smoke in comfort and warmer feet. That is, I understand. About I'm not far from criticizing you from grumbling, far from tearing you down for that. I'm going to openly sympathize with your grumbling, Pippin. Yeah, I could complain about stuff. My feet are cold. 
and I would like to be able to smoke my pipe in comfort. But none of us can have what we want here, right? You're not the only one suffering, Pippin. I empathize with how you feel. We all feel the same way. And then he immediately gives a counter to that, another piece of encouragement, another piece of, of hope, a piece of umdir. Things are m- going to get better. We are certain of one thing at any rate. It will get warmer as we get south. It will get warmer as we get south. So see, we're headed south. It's going to be getting warmer. So cheer up. Okay. What a sort of strange thing, I think, here. (laughs) If you think about this in the big picture, the more you think about that last statement in the big picture, the funnier it gets. Right. So, um, so Frodo, on the one hand, you are headed into the stronghold of the enemy in order to find the inner cavern of an active volcano. But the good news is you won't freeze to death while doing it. Right? I know you're a little chilly now, but it'll get plenty warm later. When you're surrounded by molten lava, I bet you won't be cold at all. It'll be, it'll be, it's right. All the meals in Mount Doom are hot meals, Karita. Exactly true. Exactly true. Um, it, um, I mean, there's something, uh, there's an almost, uh, there's an almost puddle glumish edge to that piece of, to that piece of comfort. And I don't think that he means it that way, right? Um, uh, do you know what I mean by puddle glumish? Of course, I'm thinking of uh, the silver chair from the Chronicles of Narnia and the character of Puddle Glum, who's one of my very favorite characters in all of Narnia. Um, and uh, uh, Puddle Glum is, is, likes to put a bold face on things, he says, right? He, uh, he, he, he likes, to, he likes to, to, to look at the bright side of things um, and uh, is very often helpfully pointing out things like that, um, that, um, that, uh, I'm trying now, of course, uh, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. Examples are fleeing from my brain. Um, I can almost remember this one line that he says, um, but, um, oh, well, anyway, um, if any, um, if anybody uh, can remember a good puddle glum line, that's a good example of uh, of what we're talking about here. Um, it, you know, this this thing like, uh, you know, well, the good thing about headed down to you know the blasted land and the fiery mountain is that it will get warmer. Um, we, at least we shan't be chilly when we get there. Yeah, but anyhow, um, I certainly agree, Vardendil, that. I don't think. I don't think Gandalf is. I, I think it's inadvertent at Gandalf's part. But here's the thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. life isn't all fricasseed frogs and eel pie. That's true. That's never one I've been able to really adopt for myself. Um, 
Yes, Gildalowin, that's exactly the, right. And there's one thing about this underground work. We shan't get any rain. That's exactly it. So they're they're trapped underground, right? They've, they've been in this landfall and now they're lost underground in these unknown underground caverns. And he's like, well, at least it won't rain. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the kind of thing that I'm thinking about. Um, yep. Oh, that's right. And he says it'll save funeral expenses. That's right. After they're, after they're all closed in and he thinks they're trapped and they're not going to be able to get out and it's going to close in on them. He says it'll save funeral expenses. I love that one. I love that one. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So there's something almost puddle glumish, right, about that last, that last statement. Um, Gandalf surprisingly, again, although this comment begins as hobbitry, just kind of bantering with Pippin, it immediately turns. We can see again how hard Gandalf is trying to keep people's spirits up. Yeah, bit of a bummer that we've been almost found by the spies of the enemy and we now have to be extra careful uh, and extra vigilant, but there may be many unexpected uh, uh, feasts for you. I totally understand how you're feeling, but everything's going to be okay. And hey, look at this. You're all cold and unhappy now because we can't have a fire, but it's definitely going to get warmer as we get south. The joke, my joke about Mordor, you know, that uh, before Frodo's done, he's going to be way too hot, um, is... I think appropriate because it's sort of anticipated by Sam. Too warm, I shouldn't wonder, muttered Sam to Frodo. Sam has no idea. Sam has no idea, as he's about to explain in this paragraph. He has no clue how far they are from Mordor. He has no idea what to expect when he gets to Mordor, really. Um, but yet he is completely right. How warm does it get in God? Yes, it's like Italy. Um, that's the climate of Gondor. Um, Minas Tirith is at like Ravenna, Tolkien said. So yes, you're you're looking at uh, you're looking at an Italian climate in in Gondor. Anyway, um, we'll come back to uh, we'll come back to to this. They'll comment on this again later on, um, over uh, over by the by the the Great River, um, but. Here again, we have another instance of Sam grumbling, of Sam sounding negative. Here's Gandalf trying to keep people's spirits up, and Sam is muttering to Frodo, too warm, I shouldn't wonder. Um, why does he do that? Why does Sam do this? Why is Sam the wet blanket? Why does he grumble? And it's in an aside to Frodo. And I think this is especially important to think about this, because again, remember, Frodo is going to claim to treasure Sam's talk and to have gone out of his way, apparently, to include it in the story. It's the voice of prag pragmatism. Yeah, I, Jackie, Sam does this a lot. Sam does this a lot. It is very British of him, I'm very resistant to that as an explanation, because it's an explanation that doesn't explain. That is, I, 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 I agree and appreciate the fact that 
it is a kind of a British thing to do. But my question is, why? Why do the British do it? What does it what does it mean? What is it? What's the function of it? What's the purpose of it? What's behind it? Do you see what I mean? Um, it's the same thing with the Hobbitry banner. Yes, it's very English. Uh, it's very English. But what does that mean? Right. What is what is it about how the English when what is it about how the English will relate to each other in that way? Um, what do we see happening there? <laughs> Karina says, yeah, Brits, explain yourself. Not exactly what I mean. Um, but um, yeah, keeping the expectations low. I, I hear that. I'm not convinced. That that's what Sam is thinking here. Like Sam is worried about getting his hopes up. And so he tries to keep his expectations low so that he'll be pleasantly surprised. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I think that feels right. Yeah, no, I, I, I can, I, I can hear that as a general explanation, but, but as I say, I'm not, I'm not completely convinced. Sam, realism, not a big fan of that word in general. Uh, realistic. I mean, I'm sure you've all been in internet debates where both sides are claiming that they're just being, quote, realistic. Um, and of course, where the difference is what they think reality is, which is, of course, generally something like the premise of the whole debate. And so I'm just being realistic is not actually furthering the discussion in any way. That is, calling something realistic doesn't mean anything unless you clarify your views on reality. Um, and that's exactly what I want to understand better. Sam's views on reality. Um, it's not that I, I, again, it's not that I think that that's wrong. I think it is correct that Sam is being realistic from his point of view. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Bjornason and I agree. Um, too many people think realism and the most depressing option are the same, which tells you something about their view of reality. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly, that's exactly the point. Um, Aspen, yeah, something like that. Um, is he getting a bit untrusting of Gandalf? Um, a sort of minimizing Gandalf's words. In a sense, yes. In a sense, yes. There is a kind of resistance, right? I mean, he's, he's muttering a rebuttal to what Gandalf says, like an add-on which undermines what Gandalf... The, the word of... Positivism, positivism that Gandalf was just trying to give. Well, cheer up, folks. It'll get warm the further south we go. The further, the more we continue on this journey, the warmer it'll get. So um, it's only going to get warmer from here. Too warm, I shouldn't mutter. Shouldn't wonder, muttered Sam. There's a refusal here of... Amdir. Gandalf is trying to build up their hope, help them look towards positive things coming in the future, unexpected fe feasts, greater warmth as they continue south. And Sam kind of rejects that. 
Now, I don't think, I don't want to push it too far. I don't think that he's resisting Gandalf in any broad sense. I don't think that he's objecting to Gandalf or undermining Gandalf's authority or anything like that. But I don't think, I think he is clearly not comforted by Amdir. And again, everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say Amdir. Let me explain really quickly. Two kinds of hope. Are there two kinds of hope in Tolkien? The two elvish names are Amdir and Estel. Amdir means the looking up. That is, you think things are going to work. To, to, to have Amdir is to think things are going to work out well. Um, so, you know, um, I hope this will happen is a statement of Amdir. Estel, high hope, is more like faith. It is the fundamental belief that what should be shall be. That's a statement of Estel. Um, that whatever happens to you, things might not work out well for you, but in the end, things are going to work out the way that they're supposed to be, and you don't have to worry about it. Um, that's Estelle. What Gandalf is offering them here is Amdir. Here are reasons why you shouldn't feel upset right now. Why you should stay you should cling to a positive frame of mind, despite the immediately distressing or depressing circumstances. And Sam isn't having it, right? Sam isn't having it. Um, too warm, I shouldn't wonder. He's not just going to be... Um, he doesn't just accept positive thoughts about the future. One of the reasons I wanted to tarry on this, apart from the fact that we tarry on every sentence, is this is going to be something very important about Sam. And I think that Sam is going to become the one for whom hope is the most important thing down the stretch. When we get to book six, book four and book six, but especially book six, hope becomes a really central theme in the book. And Sam is the one of the primary instruments of that theme. Gandalf also. Um, but De but Sam as well. Yeah, Sam doesn't want the quail sauce, just like Prince Durin uh, in the Rings of Power. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. So I think it's important to notice Sam's resistance. His resistance to mere positive thinking. Um, that is not what, that's not how Sam operates. He does not move forward just thinking things are going to work out. He tends to be kind of a downer, kind of a wet blanket in that way. He tends to believe that bad things are going to happen. He doesn't have a whole lot of umdeer in that way. I do think Dolores Stroke that it could be part of his journey, 
that he may move back. But that's why I wanted to look at this. I think, I think it's partly both. I think he is going to develop as a character, and his own experience of hope is going to change as they move forward. But I think that there's an element of this that's always there through. Because notice where he goes from here. Too warm, I shouldn't wonder. But I'm beginning to think it's time we got a sight of that fiery mountain and saw the end of the road, so to speak. I thought at first that this here Redhorn, or whatever its name is, might be it, till Gimli spoke his piece. But I'm beginning to think it's time we got a sight of that fiery mountain and saw the end of the road, so to speak. He is not just saying, confessing, that he was mistaken. That when he saw the red horn, he thought it was Mount Doom. Because he'd never seen mountains before, uh, you know, before this journey. And he knew they were going to this big special mountain. And then he sees the red horn standing up like a bloody tooth. And he's like, oh, well, that's pretty Mount Doomish. Right, looks a little doomy. I bet that uh, that 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 might be the fiery mountain. It's all red on the outside, anyway. Probably it. So he's on the one hand, sort of comically confessing that he thought at first that they were at the end of their journey or nearing the end of their journey. But notice, it's not just that he does that. It's not just that he does that. But I'm beginning to think it's time we got a sight of that fiery mountain. He, does, he hasn't just made a mistake. Or rather, his mistake is not only due to his ignorance of maps and his obliviousness uh, to distances, right? his incomprehension of distances. He begins to think it's time we got a sight. The journey ought to be coming to an end by now. There's a there's a kind of impatience there. Now, impatience seems unfair. Um, impatience seems unfair. incomprehension, certainly. I mean, notice the commentary we get. Um, Maps conveyed nothing to Sam's mind, and all distances in these strange lands seemed so vast that he was quite out of his reckoning. They've already traveled so far that it's like he can't imagine they haven't traveled all the way across the continent yet. Um, He has no idea. He's out of his reckoning because all of the distances are so vast. Surely, after walking for weeks and weeks and weeks as we have, counting the whole trip from the Shire, right? They've been walking for weeks and weeks. Surely, by now, we must be nearing the edge of the earth. It's hard for him to imagine that they're only a fraction of the way to Mordor. So to one extent, I think, you know, in one sense, I think that that's what he means when he says, I'm beginning to think it's time we got a sight of that fiery mountain. But there is a hint. Um, hmm, I want to come back to impatient again. 
There is a note that sounds like impatience. I'm not sure impatient is quite it, but do you see what I mean? Not just, I was mistaken, I had thought that we were further than we are, but we should be further. Isn't it over yet? I thought it must be over by now. That's what, yeah, some, some, some frustration. Saw the end of the road, so to speak. Yes, I wish it was over. Can't we get on with it? Yes. Yes, Valori, something something like that. Um, he wants, right, he, he does, he knows he has a job to do. He's embraced the job that he has to do. But he wants to get to it and see it over. I wonder, I wonder if it tells us. Hmm. Okay, here's an idea. I wonder if what this shows us is Sam's misunderstanding of what his job is. His and Frodo's job, I mean. That is... The journey. Right, Seeing the end of the road. Of course, first of all, can you imagine how Sam would look back on that little speech of his? Hoping to see the end of the road once he knows where that road ends for Frodo, what it's going to do to Frodo, how it's going to leave Frodo even afterwards and depriving him of his peace and ultimately leading him to have to depart Middle-earth in order to get healing. His casual reference to like wanting to accelerate the trip to the end of the road um, I think would come back to haunt him uh, to some extent, but he thinks they have a job to do, right? He'll use this language late, much later on. He's st we, he will still be using this language much later on. We've got to get there and do the job. We've got to do the job. And he's kind of hoping, right? Thinking like, okay, they've been doing the walking part for weeks now. Um, isn't it time yet to, to do the job, to see it through? to do what he was supposed to do and what he what I think he's not yet understanding is the journey is the job especially his job once Frodo comes to Mount Doom once Frodo comes to the cracks of Doom I mean to say Sam's job is done that is what he came to do to see that Frodo gets to Mount Doom. And of course, you'll probably be thinking as I am of those passages in book six that suggest, you know, that kind of show Sam thinking through and realizing, um, realizing and re-realizing what, he, you know, sort of thinking through and reconsidering what his job is, what the job is that he has agreed to do. He wants to get this long bewildering journey over with and do the job. And he doesn't realize that the journey is the job. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, who knows, Nancy? He might end up fighting in school at the cracks of doom. You never know. Stranger things have happened. 
Yeah, sorry. Just again looking at saw the end of the road, so to speak. His confidence that the job will get done and everything will go back to normal. So, um, you know, it's the job has never started. It takes longest to finish. If that's the job, better get to it, right? And get clear of it right away. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, Karita, I understand about you and Sam being a little tired and wanting to be home again. Totally understandable in every way. Um, absolutely. Sam has a long road ahead. He has a long road ahead and doesn't yet fully see what the job is going to be and what it's going to ask of him. So he's still innocent in some ways. He doesn't turn from the job. He's not resenting the job. He's not grumbling against the job. Um... his own ignorance of what is to come. His own ignorance of what is to come clearly informs the casualness with which he speaks of the end of the road. I don't blame him uh, wanting to get the job over. Yeah. Yep. Praise. I do think we will see several points at which he's going to re-understand, right? Um, the uh, uh, reconceive, recontextualize his own job. Yep, yeah. Um, yes, you're right, Dan. Um, Dan is recalling uh, Gandalf saying that, uh, you know, nor do any of us see clearly. It is true that if these hobbits understood the danger, they would not dare to go, but they would still wish to go or wish that they dared and be shamed and unhappy. Yeah, to some extent, Sam also is in that uh, is in that position. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's not skip over his comment about dwarf language. We can't skip over the gafferism. Um, on the one hand, this shows us <laughs> that he's interested in languages. Um, reminds me of that line in The Hobbit, right? Also, he was fond of flowers. Reminds me of that line. Um, so what's gafferism and what's translation? Uh, fair jawcracker. Definitely gafferism. It's, of course, also a translation, April, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but clearly trying to retain the spirit of the gafferism there. So it tells us that he's interested in languages, but, um, It's such a non sequitur, that line. His whole conversation with Frodo here, well, at Frodo, this whole thing that he's saying to Frodo, his muttering to Frodo, is kind of poking a hole in Gandalf's cheerful encouragement, 
and then but, but thinking about the end of the road and wishing they could get the job over sooner admitting his mistake that he thought that this here red horn might be it um and then he goes off onto this side note about what a jawcracker dwarf language must be. Um, it's a little bit of funny. Yes, I was thinking of that line too uh, in the Silmarillion about um, the language of the Naugrim being cumbrous and unlovely uh, in the ears of the elves. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> right, Lady Okada says, I'm grumpy about the fire, grumpy at Gandalf, and for good measure, I'm grumpy at the whole dwarven language. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, exactly praise. Important qualifier in the ears of the elves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't think that a fair jawcracker is meant to be slighting, necessarily. I don't think this is an insult intended to the dwarf language. Um, he is kind of marveling at it. And notice it's the second comment that he makes about it, or whatever its name is, um, is also a reference to dwarf language. Um, Gimli told them its name in Kuzdul, but he uh, doesn't remember it, right? What a dwarf, what a, what a jawcracker dwarf language must be. Um, as Sam is imagining, learning dwarf language and perhaps cracking his jaw. Um, yes, it's phonetically confusing, for sure. Um, yeah, like chewing rocks. Maybe, Mudmore, maybe. But why does he go there? Why does he go there at the end of this little speech? Do you think he is changing the subject? Music, oh, I totally agree. I think he is. Ha. Okay. I was just going to say something tentatively, but then I thought of something that makes me want to say it more confidently. Do you think he's playing the fool here? I mean, like the king's fool, literally being a fool, um, making fun of himself in order to make Frodo laugh, lightening Frodo's mood by inviting Frodo to laugh at himself, and Dr. Benway, exactly, jester, uh, being a jester. And that's what I remembered. Of course, you remember Frodo says that he's learning a lot about Sam Gamgee on this trip, right? He started by being a conspirator, um, uh, and right then he's surprised after he sings the troll song, right, and says that he'll end by being a jester or a warrior. And Sam says, "I hope not." I don't, no, now he's a jester, and he'll end by being a warrior. Hang on, I'm hashing the thing. Um, Right. Sam says, I don't want to be neither. Yeah. Um, what's the, what's the other thing? A wizard? 
Wizard or a warrior? Yeah, that was it. A wizard or a warrior. Um, thank you. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I was flailing. on. I messed up the quote. Um, now he's a jester. So after when he is entertaining them with the funny uh, with the funny troll song, um, he's being a jester and making them all laugh. Um, he's still being a jester. I think that that Frodo was right about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, a fair jawcracker dwarf language must be. I think is inviting Frodo to laugh, and I, I said not to laugh at him. He's clowning. I think he's. I think he's clowning. To, which is, by the way, the same thing. The word clown means that to be uh, to act like a jester. He's playing it up. Yes, I think so. I think so. He's keeping up. So at first it sounded like he was undermining Gandalf's attempt to keep up Frodo's spirits. Um, but I think perhaps he knows better how to keep up Frodo's uh, spirits. Um, yes. Um, yes, good. Um, yes, Mad Violinist, you're right. Uh, you should have been the king's jester. Um, and earned your bread and stripes too uh, by mimicking his counselors um, is the only other use of the word jester in the Lord of the Rings as praise was just confirming. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> right. So Chris is suggesting that basically Sam is saying, here, Mr. Gandalf, hold my beer. Let me show you how it's done. Um, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. He's not undermining Gandalf. He is helping. He's keeping up his end. He is. He knows best how to keep Mr. Frodo's spirits light. Um, notice the effect of all this stuff. If Frodo were to be... so. Notice what Gandalf did. Gandalf says a positive thing, right? Keep your hopes up. Some good thing might happen. Unexpected feasts. Um, I empathize with you, right? I am feeling many of the same things that you're feeling, but positive thing. Pippin, sorry, Sam, rather, uh, says, oh, yeah, well, that doesn't work, Right? Too warm, I shouldn't wonder. Um, it's not about anticipating positive things. But basically, by talking about seeing the end of the road, beginning to think it's time we got a sight of that fiery mountain and saw the end of the road, well, he's probably not the only hobbit in the party to be thinking thoughts like that. Frodo, too, most likely. Though Frodo, I think, is not quite so ignorant of maps as Sam, uh, Frodo, too, is going to... Um, is going to be aware. Surely is feeling that kind of pressure too. Surely is at least wishing that they could get a sight of that fiery mountain and see the end of the road. That they didn't just have this long, interminable, interminable, continuing journey to look forward to. And so Sam voices that thought. So Frodo doesn't have to, he doesn't have to hold it in. 
but he doesn't just voice it in a way that might amplify Frodo's feeling of it. He voices it and then invites Frodo to laugh at it. To laugh not at him exactly, but at that thought. He invites, and in that way, I think, does a much thorough job, um, uh, does a much more thorough job of encouraging Frodo. He does the same thing. He makes contact with Frodo's own likely feelings, that impatient desire, surely this can't go on. This can't continue to go on, right? Um, and instead, he he draws it out, makes that sort of empathetic connection, but then invites Frodo to laugh at it in him. And then that last line about a fair jawcracker dwarf language must be, he's clowning again. Um, aren't I funny because I don't know, I can't figure out how to, like, I'm going to say a funny thing about dwarf language in a gafferism. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull some words out of my vast paternal word hoard um, in order to invite you to laugh, not at dwarf language exactly, but at me struggling with dwarf language. Just like I'm struggling with maps. Just like I'm struggling with being impatient waiting for the end of our road. Isn't that funny, Mr. Frodo? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, Bjorning, I agree. Impatient is not the right word. That's why I was very resistant to that. Um, um, He's not just like tapping his feet and rolling his eyes. Impatience is not quite it, but um, but he wants it to be over. He wants it to be done. It's not just that the journey is. Uh, it's not just that the journey is long. Um, he's already been on a long journey. He would quite prefer to be done with journeys, but they have to continue. And he has now said this stuff and invited Frodo to laugh at it. I want to see how often these two things correlate together as we move forward. Sam's sort of negativity, right? His wet blanketism and his clowning, his gesturing, his inviting Frodo to laugh at him. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Um, that is it for our book discussion tonight. It's getting late. Um, yeah, I we'll get to the Emin Wheel. No problem. Um, Emin Wheel by, I don't know, 2035? Who knows? Um, <laughs> but in any case... Um, Thank you guys for joining me for book discussion tonight. Uh, we will get to um, a little more travel and to uh, uh, maybe one of the sightings that I am most interested to discuss with you guys pretty soon. Um, but in the meantime, let's uh, 
let's do our field trip for those of you who can stay with us for those of you who can't uh, and can only stay for the book discussion I understand and uh, I will see you guys next week should be back next week as normal uh, oh man crashed again hang on oh, no. no we should be okay we should be I'm not having the problems I had last time I just gotta log back into the game it's been it's been kind of acting up a little bit lately okay there we go now it was lagging a bit but there we go. I think I should be. All right. Oh, praise. What a wonderful observation. By the dates, Holland is between January 8th and 11th. Frodo left Bag Inn on September 23rd. Mount Doom is March 25th. This makes them more than halfway done. Although about two of those months were in Rivendell. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, you know, for like percentage of the way through the book that we are at this point, it seems like it's still very close um, to um, uh, to the you know to the to the beginning of the road and far from the end. And yet, it's true in time. It's um, it's not that far. That's uh, just one way of putting it. But you know, it's definitely one of. Uh it's definitely when you're on a suicide mission any any wait is too long <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly um but, yeah uh, there's they're all they're all kinds of there's all kinds of different kinds of suspense sort of building up to uh building up to where they're headed to what to what doing the job is going to mean yeah. From Pippin's point of view, though, he definitely just strikes me as a teenager, like complaining that dinner's another thirty minutes away. I'm hungry now, and I want to eat it. You always make things I don't like. Yeah, yeah. No, I do think that there's, apple. yeah, there's real, there's real naivete in Pippin there. I do think so. I do think so. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're headed out to No Bottle. Uh, I believe so. Uh, yes, because we're, we're yeah, we're yeah, almost, yeah. but not quite done with the Yondershire. That's right. That's right. Okay. Oh, hey! Oh, that's so cool. Dan was just saying that um, uh, that Helen, the coolest fangirl, just had her baby last night. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. So um, she's a, has a YouTube channel. Oh, that's cool. Mutual friend of uh, of. Well Meet me and Dan there on YouTube. Uh, that occurs okay. to me, like when you pu- when we when when the book is published, there ought to be a page for uh, uh, exploring Lotro babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the end of film productions. Yeah, exactly. That. Exactly. Yeah, there'd be um, there could yeah, be uh, my goodness, we could have uh, we're 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 likely to have exploring the Lord of the Rings grandbabies by the time we're done. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes when those who are in the wombs of women have grown old we too may get towards the end of the Lord of the Rings um uh yeah that's, oh, yeah, that's I had very year. okay we went to Ostlagoroth right no did, we just did Barfaroth yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm blanking on the name. No, that's right, because we went to Gamich and went north. We do. We're, we're, we are down to our last ruin, aren't we? I think we're down to our last ruin. Mm-hmm. 
Are we taking a stable to the fields again, or? Gosh, I guess we could go. It's going to be a long. I guess we'd go to Tyfield, but it's not much of a shortcut given it's only a small percentage of where we have to go. But I guess we could do that. Okay, Tyfield. Tyfield. Let's go to Tyfield and we'll ride it from there. Home of the best pipe weed. Okay. Hey, welcome, Christopher, there on YouTube. I was just talking about just finding the channel. Good to have you with us. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm a little bit inconsistent in watch. I'm watching multiple chats uh, during this. And, of course, during Exploring the Water of the Rings, we have a Discord channel um, that we mostly use for... Um, and I can kind of wait for folks to finish arriving. Um, we, uh, uh, yeah, we have a Discord channel that we use for most of our in... Uh, in-class discussion, and so that's what I'm primarily looking at, though I do have the chat windows from YouTube and Twitch and other things open, but it's rather a lot. Um, it's, um, yeah, it was fun when I was just doing, um, all right, we can ride on out here. When I was doing the, uh, my last Prancing Pony podcast recording with Alan, um, a couple weeks ago, and we did the Prancing Pony live episode. Um, that was the last week of September, I think. We're barren right here. No, we're not. We're going left. Okay. Yes, we are. Um, That's what Fozzie Beer told Kermit the Frog. Turn left at the fork of the road. Left at the fork of the road. Exactly. Ah. Um, and thank, uh, by the way, thank you for the birthday greetings, Corey. I appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, happy birthday happy to you. Absolutely. I was playing hooky, playing uh, DDO with Cordovan. <laughs> no worries. No worries. It's your birthday. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, anyway, as I was, as I was saying, I was on the Prancing Pony uh, podcast doing their live channel. And, um, you know, Alan was talking about how, like, you know, sometimes the, uh, you know, the Discord chat can get, pretty fast and furious and distracting and um and i was watching it and i'm like no i'm pretty well used to this it, it was uh it was it was uh, it was fun to keep up with the discord chat there i'm like i am kind of used to managing a whole bunch of fast moving open channels at the same time Hurting cats text cats yeah okay i think we can head north more or less any time now right um, yeah, let's does, yeah. let's kind of veer off because we're gonna wanna we're gonna wanna cross the water on the near side of that lake, I think. Oh, look at the moon over that. That's pretty. Yeah, I'm not loving some of the fall looks you guys have, by the way. Ooh, there's the moon. That is pretty. Mm. I love how they they do the effect of how the moon appears to be larger close to the horizon. Yeah, yeah we get um, a lot of that this time of year. And smaller when it's straight overhead. That's a... Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty... a pretty deep cut on the... Uh, 
on the visual atmospheric effects there. Oh yeah, the hobbit ponies get dismounted in that river, but the oh, uh, the big deep, steeds yeah. don't. Yeah. Okay, hang on, do we have to go up and over or do we go around? Is that someone's companion wolf or are we attracting uh on here. What's really fun is you keep looking toward the moon and you look down and he's like, oh hey, that's Kelidul. Oh hey, that's Duilon. And you can just mm -hmm. ride right there if you wanted to. Yeah. You can see the trees. Okay. I'm looking. Okay. And I'm wanting to this little vantage point here which is first of all a little bit of a problem not a huge problem but a little bit of a problem. I'm trying to see if we can see it from the distance I don't think we can no I'm always interested in the situation of these ruins um, you know where yeah where it was located really tells you something and um, yeah, this is very interesting. So of the other, this is the fourth ruin that we've looked at in Yondershire. We've got Tarhad, Barfaroth, Ostlagaroth, and Longabel. So Tarhad, and you'll remember that we were traveling sort of through history from, yeah. uh, from east to west, right? We were first in peaceful Old Anuminous, where, yeah. um, you know, at that like pleasure house. And then we were in later... Anuminous, but still old Arnor in what looked like a, a walled city. And yeah. then we got into Civil War Arnor. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and in that way, it was kind of a, a, a southward facing instead of northward facing. That is, instead of having that sense of the people from Anuminous having coming over the mountains and, you know, looking south towards the, uh, you know, these the lands that will become the Shire. Um, yeah. With uh, the third one, what was it? Uh, Ostlagaroth. It was, it seemed to be most likely people coming from like the south and building the fortress up in the north. They might have been coming over the mountains too from uh, Enuminous and Fornost. But again, the orientation is more towards the south, which is where the, the, the contention was. Right away from a distance, we can see this is another... Uh, we're continuing chronologically. This might be the same period as Ostlagaroth. Clearly, yeah. uh, Arnorian Civil War. You could see that from the bricks, uh, from how, from where we were. The situation of this uh, ruin up on a hilltop like this, very defensible position. Not exactly cliffs, but man, it would not take much to defend the approach to this. Um, all you'd need is some stuff to roll down on people and you can keep that going yeah. for quite some time. And the added advantage of it, can, they can, you know, up here we can see, you can see the enemy, but the enemy can't see us. Oh yeah, you can see for quite a, even with the trees, you can see for quite a distance up here. Mm -hmm. um, there I can. Yeah, we've got really interesting, I don't remember Arnorian ruins having crenellations like that, like really clear crenellations up at the top of the towers. Mm. Um, that's interesting. It's in better shape than most. It is. I think it's a newer, I think it's a newer ruin. I think we are continuing to move chronologically. Um, you know, 
orienting east to west and I- increasing into the future there. Um, let me just look around. All right, and there's that elf tower across the river. What, what, what was that tower? Wardspire. Yeah. That's it, the Wardspire. Yes. Oh, a long the new, time ago, many classes long, ago, where long we time ago. Come up here. That's right, where we were looking across the river and we could see that there was a ruin over here, but we didn't know what it yeah. was. We tried to swim it. Yeah, we did. And we we stomped on this ruin down in the on the river itself. Yeah, yeah. That was an exhausting swim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. I mean, just holding the mouse for that long was exhausting. <laughs> okay. Now, coming in, we went around the front door, but coming in the front door, what do we have? We have a an inner courtyard. So we have this, it looks, so the wall is sort of an outer curtain wall with immediately an inner wall. There is some thought for presentation that is the large, cap, you know, the large um, space above the, the, the doorway and the arch where you have not only... Um, the what's it called pediment? What is no? That's yeah. something else. No. I forget what it is. The thing, the space above the doorway. I forget the word for that. Um, uh, but uh, yeah. Anyway, whatever that's called. Um, but um, not only do we have the the seven stars up there, but we also then have the you know the the scepter of Anuminus really prominently, um, and then over here we get this little raised platform what do you think this was for up here um it's not a gazebo though it's gazebo-esque it's a square gazebo but it's it's a square platform with big columns around looks certainly would have had some kind of what it was supporting a ceiling obviously yeah maybe this is the audience platform for people who just walk in yeah, I mean, you'd be looking down on people first coming in. Yeah. It's peculiar. It does it really... It looks like you have to report in. Right. really does sort of command this whole courtyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is interesting that it's offset. That's definitely like a defensive thing. It's not a straight line to this uh, figure of authority. Mm-hmm. This is. Yeah. an intentional sort of uh, uh, deviation from a straight line because you don't want to line up your dominoes. Right, right. Gets a little sketchier in here. Hang on, I'm going to dismount. Yeah, a lot more damage in here. This is not as well-preserved as the others. Yeah, it's nor as clean as the outside looked in the sense of, clean in the sense of, you know, more... uh, you know, ruins in closer to mint condition. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this looks more like what we've seen in Estine and Bree. Yeah, this is probably. I don't know that this is another courtyard. This might have been in. in this might have been a hall. Um, if you look at this, like this, might have had steps up. Like if you look at this, there could have been a floor. Right. Yeah where this um you know so you've got these plain unadorned walls down on what is like the ground floor right now but that could have been 
a basement floor basically with the um you know steps up to a wooden floor and then the arched columns are the walls of that floor and then you've got the the columns with a clear story above that which we yeah. can just see so i could have i think this might have been a hall this might have been like a great hall that you came in Mm-hmm. yeah yeah this looks a lot like like uh some of the ruins of uh Esteldeen when you get up near the swamps yeah yeah yeah, man, here's another really fancy. I mean, look at that. That's like the scepter of Anuminus and Technicolor over there. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, there's got to be some Numenorean, like, fancy, steely, not quite magic keeping that preserved while everything else is falling to rack and ruin. Right. Yeah, I see what you mean. Oh, look at these big skulls on here. I'm kind of new. I don't. I think we I think we saw something like this before with the, it's the little bone like rib things down at the bottom that make me think of it. What is that? These are tree stumps that have been decorated. It's not an aurochs. Is that a giant boar? Uh, they couldn't have carried an elephant this far. Yeah, it looks no. a bit like a rhinoceros or something. Yeah, it's got it's got double tusks. I think it's a boar. Oh, yeah, I think it's a giant yeah. boar. Like a warthog kind of boar, really. Yeah, yeah, we've seen some boars like that. Yeah. I mean, with teeth like that, not um, that size, universally. Yeah, the size but is crazy for a boar. It is pretty remarkable. Almost looks like an elephant. So with double tusks and. Yeah. Greenstand, I thought you were an NPC for a second coming up here. And I'm like, whoa, who's this guy standing with the goblins? Oh, it's it's just Greenstand. Okay, gotcha. Thought you were a piece of the furniture there, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to figure out what this thing was. You got a goblin, so we've got the stars and stars with the little artichokes around the edges. I mean, yeah. this doesn't look like a lookout. I mean, it's no, high, no. but I don't think it's a lookout, yeah. mostly because of its positioning. You can't... Well, also, the artichoke leaves we generally only seen in the stuff that were made in peace. Yes, I agree. I agree, or at least in peaceful circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, well, it could have started out peaceful and then got dragged into the war. Yeah, yeah. But the way that this surveys not the outside, I mean, you'd have to be closer to the edge of the cliff or closer to the walls if you wanted yeah. this to be a watchtower. Maybe this but, was meant to be like a, some sort of uh, protection place for important people. Like this is the place we stick our important people when we want them to survive the next battle. Because it's very well, secluded. It is, but it has an open colonnade around it. It doesn't look well, heavily protected. It might not have been open when it was built. Yeah. And over here... No, see, still not a watch post. It is close to the back wall, so you could... 
use it for a watch post this way. Yeah, not much and to if, see this way. Exactly. There's not much to see. You don't need a distant view of those cliffs that are nearby. Okay. So it would be safe to have open this open over here. Unless somebody yeah. Yeah. This is I a mean, place these... that is safe as long as nobody knows about it. Right. These trees would you know might not have been there yeah. when it was built. Um but yeah, I, as Wordwise says, this sense almost of like uh, religious, like it feels like a little bit ziggurati. Um, that's my word, not Wordwise's word. Um, and uh, Almerea says it has the it has the feel of the of, of a high seat of authority. Um, yes, it could conceivably have been a beacon of some sort. It doesn't look like the southern beacons, but it's. It's not impossible. I wouldn't think so, though, just because of, again, it's not on an absolute height. Like, you want to be... I mean, look how it's... Like, nobody in this direction. The direction I'm facing right now is southeast, which is a pretty important direction from an Arthedanian yeah. standpoint. And it's all because blocked again, by these other mountains. You can't see this place from, yeah. from anywhere else. Yeah. So yeah, remember how much... Useless. Yeah, remember how much of a hard time we were having... Um, uh, finding this place look, from, from a distance Nemorniel, nice boots by the way, those are awesome boots really nice boots look at those boots, those are excellent boots sorry, can't help but notice people's wonderful cosmetics um, but uh, um, yeah, I what this primarily has a commanding view of is the inside, right? This inner courtyard over here. Mm -hmm. If the off to our right where we came through was the Great Hall, this looks like a courtyard with that big colonnade there. It could have been inside. It could have had... It could have been enclosed, possibly. But this, these stairs leading up to this suggest to me that maybe it was not. Um... Oh, rogue pirogue, no, no. Um, almost none of these fortresses are discussed in 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 the books. Um, this is what it what is fun. Of course, there's such a great deal of world building that they've had to do um, in Lotro to fill out the entire world um, to take the world so little of which was was actually described by Tolkien um, and fill out the full details. I mean. You know, he just describes what is, um, you know, on the route that the company takes. Um, anyway, so there's so much that they've had to invent and fill in. But that's what's so much fun about this is thinking about what we know from the books and sort of seeing how we can fit in what kind of... Because um, even this kind of thing, like here's a random fort that they've included here. And of course, they've included this for quest-related reasons, right? There's all these goblins running around that I'm pointedly ignoring as we're discussing through, because I'm here for archaeological purposes, not for questing purposes. <laughs> um, but um, but that's that's really the great fun of this, right? So although it's here and it has game reasons for being here, it also has world-building reasons for being here. And I have found the Lotro folks consistently thoughtful. It tends to work. I'm not saying that they plan and intend, that the developers plan and intend all of the things that we observe or all of the conclusions that we draw, but the combination of how thoughtful and detailed they are in building Lotro with the 
uh, you know, combined with how thoughtful and detailed Tolkien was in the overall construction of his world and its history, um, we can begin to make a narrative. So, yeah, so that's what we're doing is looking at this ruin that they've built here, thinking about its position. So we actually haven't thought about that much. Let's look at, from a map perspective, exactly where we are. So I'm zoomed out to the Eriador map right now, and we can see we're not, actually my green dot is not in the right place. We are not on the, on the eastern, on the western bank, sorry, of the River Loon. We're on the west, we're on the eastern bank still. Yeah. Um, so, so we're, we're kind of here. yeah, exactly. We're, we're more, um, uh, we're more like where this little, I think we went past this. That's this branch that we crossed over, isn't it? I think. So we're not far from Lake Evendim, I guess. Now I, I want to hmm. see again if we go to Evendim here. So Evendim is still one of the ones with the old map. Um, we are. We were not far from a new. So yeah, we're we're up. I think pretty much to the um, like due west of the southern parts of the lake here. North of that little branch, which again I think we crossed over. Um, that's the one that I did not lose my horse in, but the hobbits did. And then we continue to go up north in the hills. So this is a fortress in the hills. Okay, so my question is, why? Why would they build this? This is about as far as you can get. From So, it's clearly a Civil War construction. And Fornost, way over here on the North Downs, is the capital of Arthedain. So you've got Arthedain in this whole northern, especially northern and western segment, uh, to the north of the Great East Road. So from the Great East Road through Bree to around Weathertop and then north up towards Angmar. All of this, you know, and th through Fornost, which was the capital of Arthedine, and then Enuminus, past Enuminus. Um, all of this was Arthedine. And they were fighting with Rudaur and Cardolan, the other two Arnorian kingdoms. And Cardolan was south of the Great East Road, so all of this land down here um, on the southern parts of the Lone Lands and um, and south of Bree, uh, of course, near the uh, near the Barrow Downs, which was sort of the center of the kingdom of Cardolan. So that was Cardolan down here. And then you have Rudaur, which um, is the one that allies with Angmar and goes most seriously bad. And they're from about the Weather Hills, out through the Trollshaws, and then uh, even down... Um, almost all of the troll shells all the way down to the Glanduin River roundabouts, um, certainly down to the Bruinen, seem to be around where we were finding Rudaur and ruins all the way down there in the Angle um, there, and even um, uh, you know up here up here in the troll shells as well. So there's a lot of Rudaur, and they were meeting in the North Downs. Anyway, the point is, compared to those things, so Rudaur over here in the east and northeast, Cardolan in the south and Arthedain up here in the north and northwest, where we are is like the extreme upper left-hand corner of everything. I mean, absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. If there is a direction, if there's one direction from which the kingdom of Arthedain should feel pretty safe that they're not going to get attacked from, it's this direction. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right? I mean, even up here in the north, you've got Angmar. But this is the opposite side of everything from Angmar and from Rudar and from Cardolan. Right? I mean, like, nobody... Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right, Emily. Theoretically, the snowmen could be coming down from Forakel to attack them. But that seems unlikely. And assuming that the elves of Arid Luin are going to be more or less behaving themselves and not coming across the river to assault them, which I suspect they would not, um, why would yeah, you want a fortress here? It's, it's honestly just a safe place. I mean, yeah, and that's the other point with the elves. It's No one's going to try any shenanigans on that river because that river is watched over by the elves. Right. Right, yes, you've got the Elvish Harbors uh, on this river. This is, of course, um, out here on the western side of the mountains is where Linden was back in the day. Yes. Oh, yeah, I, I still maintain this is a safe haven. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's interesting. It is. It's very hidden, and it's it's a, it's a stronghold. I mean, it is like a place you might retreat to, um, because, I mean, there are walls and it's heavily defensible, but it is more like a hidden retreat than it is like a, um, a fortress that expects an assault or is mm-hmm. or is defending a, a perimeter. As and the beautiful decoration, especially mm-hmm. the peacetime decorations, makes me think that it was for someone special. Yep, quite possibly so. Um, quite possibly so. Especially if you can get... We can't cross those mountains over there, can we? I, I think it's a sheer drop. Yeah. I'm so proud of myself that I made that jump. My son would wow. have been really proud of me. Oh, I suck at that. I'm really bad. If if the, if no. I'm like the worst I'm like the worst platformer of all time. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I just suck at platforming. But cuz that's where the lake is. Like the lake is right over those mountains. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Like, there's a lot of space between here and things, but there's you have so many allies on either side, mm-hmm. or at least neutral parties who aren't going to put up with Rudar. And... Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. Let's see if I can make the second jump. Nope. Oh well, oh. that's okay. Um. Anyhow, yeah, it's. Oh wait, I guess oh, I can, there's I another. It. There's another route. You did it. Nice. I, I can go up here anyway to look out uh, with the goblins. I, Me and the goblins can I see look nothing. out. There's nothing interesting here. I made that yeah, no, there's up. no way over. I just wanted to see if there was any p- possible route. It'd be really interesting to get through and see what's on the Illuminous side of uh, of this. Oh yeah, yeah. Praise. You're saying your husband is embarrassed for you because you're a terrible platformer. You should see my son laugh at me. Praise. Matthias just can laugh himself sick watching me play something like, you know, Super Smash or Super Mario Brothers or something like that. Honestly, um, that's why Lotro was my first video game. Back in the days of, you know, three lives and you die, I'd get so panicked, I'd scream and I'd pull this, the thing out of the wall. Oh my goodness. So bad. Back when we had so sports children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so okay. the pa- impassibility to Numinous is deliberate on the world yeah, builder's part. Scenario had said that they made it that way for reasons. Yep. No, I thought they might have done. I just wanted to check and see. Um, okay, but yeah. So I think, 
I think it's a good theory. I think um, last stronghold of, you know, like last stronghold to retreat to, that seems to hang on this pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there would be some kind of ceremonial element, right? Whether this platform, this high platform, um, both of them, both of these high platforms, this very high one here and the one that we saw, the less high but still conspicuous one right inside the gate, both of them have this, I don't know, performative element to it. It, 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 it gives a sense of, of um, you know, people making speeches or, um, you know, yeah, l- looking out over crowds or whatever. Um, or offering sacrifices in, this, in the other direction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, if you're on your... Consider it from the point that if we are at the last safe hold, mm-hmm. you're going to do a lot of praying. Right, right. Yeah, maybe there maybe there was a... Uh, uh, maybe there was a religious element here. It's possible. It's possible. Um, okay. Yeah, because this is... This is tucked out of the way. I mean, look, even on the map, how much harder it was to get here compared to the other ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. found by people who already know where it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that, I think, concludes our exploration of the Yondershire. Wow. Where were we headed next? When does the new area open? November 8th. November 8th. So we're like, oh, man, we're like one or two weeks off, huh? And they just published an article today about their history of Cardolan and their last week they or the week before they did one of their history of Swantfleet for the two new areas coming up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, that's exciting. We'll be able to ride through the Andorath Gate finally. I can't wait. We're going to start at Bree and we're going to ride south. I got, I'm so looking forward to that. Um, okay. So I'm... Um, We'll figure out what we should do next week. I don't know what we should do next week, because we're having class next week. We won't have the new area open yet, but we're done with this one. Maybe we can take requests for areas that they think we haven't explored thoroughly yet. True. True. Yeah, we could do some kind of recap of an old area, maybe movie Aristotle. We'll figure it out. Work over the Wismead. Yeah, we'll take we'll take we'll take we'll take votes. Okay. All right. In the meantime, thanks, everybody, as always, for joining us. Uh, I'll be back next week. We are having, um, I'm getting back to the uh, Alice's Adventures discussions on Wednesday nights, uh, starting tomorrow night again. Uh, So we'll be back to Through the Looking Glass. We just talked about the Jabberwocky poem last time, and we'll be returning um, uh, to the rest of Chapter 2 there um, in uh, Through the Looking Glass next time awesome book through the looking glass. Thanks everybody. And we will see you guys next week. Bye now.